Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, tonight, hallelujah, I'm just, uh, I've got a lot to say and a little bit of time to do it. So, uh, you know, I, had, I thought I'd have you turn to a lot of different places, and we may not get an opportunity to do that tonight. I may just have to just kind of just highlight a bunch of things. But, you know, the last few days, I don't know if you've been aware, I'm sure you have, that uh, one of our former presidents has gone, has gone on. And, uh, you know, from the sounds of things, you know, it sounds like he was born again that he's uh, in heaven, and praise God for that. But, you know, there's been a whole lot of talk about his legacy as a president. There's been a whole lot of talk about his legacy as a father. You know, all one of these wonderful things have been said and about him, have been talked about him. And, and so today I was at home before I'd come down to the office, and I just caught a few little snippets here and there of his memorial service today and, um, you know, record it so I go home and actually watch a little bit more of it tonight. But, you know, the Lord started dealing with me about the fact that there's a legacy there's a spiritual legacy that you and I both need to enjoy and pass on. And so we're going to start with the legacy that we get to enjoy. And it starts out, you know, God's been faithful from the day he said, let there be light. But there's, there's some real definite places, you know, in the Bible where he established himself with man. And, and primarily with Abraham. I want you to go with me really quickly tonight to Genesis 17. Hallelujah. Genesis 17. And you stay with me here. And uh, verse, verse 2 says, I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Verse 7 says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. What is a legacy? Something that is passed on from generation to generation. Something that stands the test of time. Something that is, is, is vibrant, that's vital, that's alive, that's living, that, that can be seen and can be felt. Hallelujah. And so he started this covenant off with Abraham. Well, you know, he said, I'll establish it between me and, and your seed after you. Thank God we are the seed of Abraham today. But in, in chapter 26, you're close by, chapter 26, be nimble tonight, chapter 26, verse 24, hallelujah. He says this to, to, to Isaac, the next generation. He says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless you and multiply your seed for my servant Abraham's sake. Now, that's Abraham, Isaac. Go with me to, to chapter 35. Chapter 35, verses 11 and 12. And God said unto Jacob, this is unto him, unto Jacob, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be out of you, and kings shall come out of your loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. Listen, he established a covenant with a man that he knew he could trust to carry on the covenant, to carry on the legacy. Because he said in Genesis 18, 19, he said, I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him. Now, we look at that, that term after him, and we, we, we think of that just in, in like a present tense kind of a setting, like, okay, he's going to make sure his household right now follows him. But Honestly, it goes much further than that. He's going to make sure that him and his household, him and his children, the ones who come later will follow me. He will, he's establishing himself in my sight in the covenant that we have together, and he will make sure that his household and his children will follow after him. When he, after him, not, not just behind him, not just alongside of him, but after him. When he's gone, they will continue to follow after him. Hallelujah. And so what kind, what kind of things is, you know, he's, he's establishing the fact that God is God. And God has a legacy he wants passed down. It's not just prosperity. We think of Abraham so many times we think of, of just Abraham and the blessings that followed Abraham and the prosperity that comes along with Abraham and, and the goodness that comes. But there is so much in what God has passed down to us. And honestly, you know, we find so much of it in the book of Psalms. 
And so we're going to go to the book of Psalms, and we're going to read a whole bunch of stuff in the book of Psalms. Okay, let's see how much we can get to. I may have to cut some of it out just for time's sake because I got on a roll this afternoon. I was like, whoa, okay, we got lots to talk about here. Uh, Psalm 22, hallelujah, starting in verse 30 and 31. Actually, let me, oh, I wrote this down in, in the Amplified. It says, posterity, well, let's see. Let's read it out of the regular verse. It says in verse 30 of chapter 22, A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That he hath done this. They amplify that. says, Posterity shall serve him. They shall tell of the Lord to the next generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. That he has done it. It is finished. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Psalm 33, go over there. Verses 11 and 12. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Go with me to Psalm 45, verse 17. 45, verse 17. I will make thy name... This is David talking. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Now go to Psalm 71. I tried to keep this in order just to help your fingers. Hallelujah. Psalm 71. We're going to verses 17 and 18. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now, this is for some of us. Now also when I am gray, old and gray-headed, O oh God, forsake me not until I have shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Amen. Go with me to Psalm 73. You're close there at hand, verses 12 through 15. It says, well, actually let's save this one. For, for a little, let me, let me mark this here. We'll come back. We'll come back. There's a reason I'm going to come back to this, this one. Uh, let me mark that. Okay. Go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. David here is, is, is putting out the legacy that God has given to us for us to share with others in our, in our lives and in our families. Verses 3, 4, and, and 6, it says, Which we have heard, I, well, let's start in verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. How is the, the, the legacy that God has provided for us going to, be, going to be carried generation to generation? Because somebody's going to tell the next generation. It says, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Now go to verse 6. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who shall arise and declare them to their children. Hallelujah. Psalm 79, verse 13. The latter part of it says, We will show forth thy praise to all generations. 89, verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. We are the ones responsible for conveying the legacy that God has provided for us. Hallelujah. Verse, uh, Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Psalm 100, verse 5. 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Uh, Psalm 102, verse 18. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hallelujah. We know that in Proverbs, you know, it's, it's hackman, it's pounding it in. It's going over it and over it and over it and over it until it's completely solid in our lives. Psalm 105, verses 8 through 10. He has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. 
which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Psalm 119. And that would be verses 89 and 90. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. You have established the earth and it abides. Hallelujah. Uh, Psalm 135. 135, verse 13. Thy name, O Lord, endures forever. And thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Listen, you don't think it matters what one generation does to the next? Oh, it's not any big deal. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. If it's not passed in order from one generation to another, it will be lost. It will definitely be lost. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 51, verse 8. No, I'm sorry. I don't, know what that, I don't know what that is. I wrote that down wrong. It says, my salvation is from generation to generation. And then Isaiah 60, verse 15. We won't even turn there. It talks about that the Lord is the joy of many generations. The thing I want you to see here is that Daniel, I mean David, had an eternal viewpoint. It wasn't a temporary, it wasn't just my family that exists before me right now. It was an eternal viewpoint that showed that he knew the, 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 the fact that it had to go from generation to generation. That it could not, it could not stop with one. It could, not, it could not be modified by one. It could not be compromised by one for it to stay in, in effect like God intends for it to stay in effect. There is a legacy that God has given us that he intends for us to walk in, but it has to be passed from generation to generation to generation. Now, some of you are out there thinking, well, you know, I wasn't raised in church. I mean, I've come into this late. Listen, you're now the chosen generation. You're now, and that's what 1 Peter says. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And you've been called out of darkness into light. But I'm telling you what, physically speaking, there is, there is a job and a responsibility that we have to, to make sure that we take what God has given us and make sure it goes from generation to generation. In our own lives, I mean, we've seen it growing up in a classical Pentecostal church. I mean, my grandparents, his grandparents, you know, they were all in some of that first generation Pentecostals of the early 20th century. And, and they passed it on to their children. And their children passed it on to the generation that I'm in. But I'm telling you, the generation that I'm in right now has not done such a great job of passing it on to the next generation in the denomination we came up in. Because right now, there are people of our age that we grew up with that knew about the things of God, the things of the Spirit. They knew, they saw, they experienced. Listen, I've seen some things even as a little kid. I mean, for us, I mean, when my daddy was, was pastoring when I was real young. And, you know, we were in a small town. And I remember, you know, the days when, when church was basically one room. Just one room. That's all it was. There was no classrooms. It was just one room. Everybody was in one room. Nursing mamas, you know, we turned around a bench to the back wall for nursing mamas to go back there and take care of their babies. There were no nurseries. There were no children's classes when I was little, when I was that little. We had benches that were just slats, you know, like you see out in the park or something. And there's many a time that my mama took me to church and put a quilt underneath the seat in front or the bench in front of us, and we would get down there when it got late because services, you know, you never knew what time a service might get over. And when we had revivals, revivals didn't last three days. We call, we call them conferences, seminars, but they were called revivals back then. And they would last a minimum of two weeks, most of the time three, and we didn't take Saturday night off. And so, you know, Mama would take us, and, and she'd put a quilt down under the seat in front of us. You know, we'd get under there, and, and, you know, supposedly, you know, we're going to sleep, you know, whatever. You know, but I remember watching from under that bench, praise, and seeing the power of God hit some of those people in those services. And some of the things I saw, oh my goodness, even as a little kid, I remember that. But the generation that I'm in right now has not been good at passing that on. And so that denomination has a generation that's been 
sort of skipped. The things that were important to my parents and my grandparents weren't necessarily important to the generation we came up with, and it wasn't important enough for them to pass it on. And so they've looked at it as something that's, it's just not that big a deal. It's not that necessary. Now the next generation after them doesn't even have a clue what a move of God is, is all about. They've never experienced the presence of God. They do not know and understand how God wants to move in a service. He wants to move in their lives. There are people who were, who were I'm like his grandmother, my grandparents, you know, you know spirit-filled, tongue-talking people. Our parents were. We are. You know, but I'm determined that my children and my grandchildren are going to take this on. But there are people who weren't, who weren't that, that committed to it. And so their children didn't think it was any big deal whether they were, they were there baptized in the Holy Ghost or not. That speaking in tongues stuff, you know, it's not necessary. It's not. Their children know nothing about it. If you heard Pastor talking about the Spirit-filled life on Sunday, you should be getting a clue of how important it is, is for us as believers to live the Spirit-filled life. And yet, some people of my generation count it so little, count it so insignificant, count it so unimportant that they have not passed on something that is of the most vital importance to their children who have not passed it on to theirs. What have we done? What, have they, what has this generation done to the next and the next? We have deprived them. We have robbed them. It's important. If you're sitting in here tonight, and you have children, I want you to understand that just because you're sitting in a church like this does not mean your children will embrace what you embrace unless you pass it on to them. And unless you pass it on in such a way that it is as real as the five digits on their hand they will not pass it on to their next generation. They have to see it in demonstration in you. It's not enough for them to come sit in here and watch other people. They need to go home and see it demonstrated in you. They need to see it as a vital part of your family life. They need to see it as a vital part of your life personally. It should affect everything you do so that they see it, so that they understand what's going on, so that they see what is of most importance. There's an eternal thing going on here, folks. It's an eternal legacy that we're supposed to be passing on. In Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Train means to demonstrate with not just your words, but your actions. means to train them. How are they going to be trained? You know, somebody told me one time that the way they, they get somebody, you know, settled in a particular task is tell, show, and do. You tell them about it. You show it to them in demonstration, then you let them do an experience to, to make sure they understand what they got, to make sure the instruction they got is correct, to make sure they understand how to operate in that particular task. Listen, it's up to me and you to tell, to show, and to do. Well, I should be getting a lot more amens than that. It's up to us to do that. You can't assume that just because they sit in here next to you on a Sunday night, they understand. You can't assume just because you bring them on Sunday morning to Faith Island on Wednesday nights to, to Showtime or, or whatever group that they're in, that they totally understand. They'll totally understand when it's demonstrated by you. The rest of us, we have a responsibility to those children, even though they're not ours, that when they come in here, that we help Mama and Daddy by we demonstrate it ourselves. They need to see it not just in their family. They need to see it in this whole body because this is their church family. This is the, the next segment of family. You know, we belong to three families. You know, there's the family of God, there's our natural family, and there's our church family. And in all three places, they should be seeing 
the legacy that God has given us to pass on from generation to generation. Something living, something vital, something important, something that cannot be done without. It, life is not worth living if you don't have this in your life. They'll never live up to the full potential God has for them. They'll never live up to the blessings that God has for them, for the, for the things that he has in store for them, for the plan of God, unless they understand these things. And it's up to us to make sure that they do. It's up to us to make sure that we pass it on from generation to generation. Hallelujah. So what kind of things specifically? Now, I wrote down 10 things, but, you know, you could find a whole bunch more. Number one, what kind of a legacy do we want to instill in our children? A spiritual legacy. Number one, that God is first. Do you hear me? God is first. My relationship with God is first. And when they're old enough to become born again, to give their hearts to Jesus, you need to impress upon them that God is first. And then you demonstrate in the li- that in the life of the family so that everything you do points back to the fact that God is first. All these other things of life are wonderful. All these other things of life are fine. But they're not necessary to serving God. What things are necessary to serving God and to making sure God has the place of preeminence in their lives that he's supposed to have? That's what you do. That's how you will pass on the legacy. You know, over in Exodus, God started out by saying, you'll have no other gods before me. And we think, well, you know, we don't worship other gods. It's not like there's like Baal. There's nobody serving Baal today. Well, there's other people who are serving a lot of other things that become God. Well, what's what's another God to? Anything that takes the place of God, anything that takes priority over God, that is become your God. It could be some kind of a recreational thing. It could be some kind of a sports thing. It could be it could be even a job. There's been many people over the years who have who have been blessed, blessed, blessed by God in a business. And the business became God. And after a while, they, they stopped coming to church because their business, they were so consumed by it. It became first. Well, who put them in that place? Who gave them that business? Who blessed that business? And now you don't have time for the one who blessed it? You don't have time for the one who put you in that? It's easy. For people sometimes to look back and think, oh, I did this. I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. No, you're not. God made you. God had put everything in you that you have. Every talent, every ability, every, well, that just comes natural. No, it doesn't. It comes from the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you. He created you. He put things in you the moment you were conceived. Those came from him. And we need to make sure that we honor God, you know, with the things that he's put in by keeping him first. And the generation after us needs to see that we're keeping him first. You say, now, Pastor Angel, you're going to get really just kind of like off the deep end with this kind of thing. Is that possible? Is it possible to get off the end of the deep end where putting God first is concerned? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I really don't. Does God understand what, yeah, we take vacations? Sure he does. But you know what? Your heart still ought to be keeping God first. You know, the Bible, Hebrews talks about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, when uh, we decide, we choose not to come, be honest now. Well, I couldn't because... Really? Is that an honest statement? You absolutely could not make provision for that. Somebody called me up one time and said, I just want you to know, Pastor Angela, I'm not going to be there. I've been working a lot lately, and and I'm really just so tired. I just can't make it. I went, for real? They knew right then I had no sympathy for that. (laughs) Really? You're going to tell me you're too tired to come to church because you've worked a lot lately. Are you for real? No, let's not go there. Let's not go there. I can, I can give you my stories. You know, you've heard them before. I won't bore you with them again. But do not talk to me about the fact you can't come to church because you're too tired. Don't do it. Don't even start it. I, 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 I don't even take that in. We'll just leave that right there. 
so, so why can't you come? Well, I had to do this. Did you really? You mean to tell me that you couldn't find another time in your day or in your week that you could have taken care of that and still been at church? Well, you're just being just so hard. No, I'm not. There's a reason why you're supposed to be here. There's a legacy that needs to be passed on, and it'll only be passed on if you're here to experience what God has for you. How many answers have been here and the person who needed the answer wasn't? I'm meddling tonight. That's okay. So we'll go on to number two. I'm working on it, honey. I really am. How about serving? There's a place you and I are to serve. You know, Galatians talks about, about the fact that we're to serve one another. Galatians 5.13. Ephesians talks about, about every joint, what every joint has, what every joint supplies. That means every person has a function. There is no one who should sit and say, well, I don't need to do anything. I don't have anything to offer. No, no, yes, you do. You do have something to offer, and you have a responsibility to serve God by serving one another. 1 Corinthians tells us, you know, that we're one body. You know, we don't have a body here and some little appendage out over there somewhere. We're one body. You know, one body in the universal church and one body as a local church. You know, some people just have the idea that, that well, I just, I, I do this, you know, and it's like a universal church kind of a thing. Para-church ministries are not the church. There are other things out there that you could be involved in, feeding the homeless, you know, you know, soup kitchens, one thing. But that is not serving in the local church. That is serving the body at large, but it's not serving your local family. And you need to find a place in your local church family to serve one another. Over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, I believe it is, it talks about Dorcas. I want you to go over there. Acts chapter 9, a lady by the name of Dorcas. Hallelujah. All right. Verse 36, now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms did which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. For as much as little was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not, he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, turning to him, to the body said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Listen, this was a woman who served. You think, well, I don't have anything I can do. Yeah, you do. She made things for people. She had coats and garments that she had made for people. I, every, time I, every time I read about Dorcas, I think about Miss Betty Becker, Inc. Oh, my goodness. She was one of the quietest people you would ever want to meet. One of the sweetest people. She just, I mean, she was just, you know, if, if you didn't say anything, she'd just kind of blend into the background. But she had such a dynamic impact on the church that, that some of you may, may, or not, may or may not be aware of. She was an artist. She was a seamstress. She was a baker. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, Connie has, has uh, uh had the mantle passed to her, you know, but, but she was, she had, a, she did a lot of stuff. If there was ever anything I needed to do done, getting ready for a program, getting ready for a dinner, getting ready for this, for that, whether there was no decorating that needed to be done, you know, in the, in the children's classrooms, she was always willing, always ready, and always good at what she did. She, she was, she was thrilled, and yet she never saw the value of what she added to the church body. John and Ruth Hargrave, they were older in years. There, they weren't a lot, there wasn't a lot they could do physically, but they could pray. Ruth Dunn, another one. She could pray, and pray they did. You'll never know the impact those three had on this church body until you get to heaven. 
But see, there's no reason why every one of us can't be in a place where we serve because there are things to do. Some things might be seen. Some things may not be seen. You need to teach the next generation. We need to help them see that part of the life they live is one of service to the body, to one another. There will be times when they'll reach out to perfect strangers. There's times that they need to reach out to their church family. There's a place for them in serving. Hallelujah. It's a legacy that we should leave behind to our children. When it comes time for us to, to you know, somebody to get up and talk about us, what are they going to say? Well, they showed up from time to time. Mm, I don't think that's exactly what I really wanted to say. I really don't. Nobody's perfect, but you know, you go to some funerals and you think, my Lord, I mean, this was like Saint so-and-so. I knew them. They were not Saint so-and-so. No way, you know. So when, if that time ever comes, if Jesus doesn't come back before I leave this earth, you can get up and say, sometimes she was a handful. Yep, sometimes she was a handful, but we loved her anyway, you know. <laughs> you know, you don't want to make, make somebody think they're, they're perfect. I mean, I, you know, I, I've, heard of, I've heard of people, you know, who have you know, been married for years and years and years and years and years, and maybe it wasn't the greatest marriage in the world, and maybe one of the, one or the other one was a real hard person to get along with, but when they died, suddenly the surviving spouse, I mean, it's just like, oh, oh, they were just so wonderful. I wish they were back. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Seriously? They're better off in heaven, and you're better off that they're in heaven. Really? Come on, stop that. Hallelujah. How about faith? You need to demonstrate a legacy of what it's like to live by faith to the next generation. They need to hear what you're believing God for. Not, not in terms of these are the woes and the troubles our families are experiencing, but hey, this is what we're believing God for. And this is what's happened. And look how God has met the need. You know, over in 1 Timothy, you know, when Paul's writing to, uh, to, uh, to Timothy, go over there real quick. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5. You know, this is, this is what? This is what our children and our grandchildren should be able to say about us. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. He is, when I call to remembrance the sincere faith that is in you, which dwelled first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. See, that's passing a faith life down from generation to generation. They ought to hear you speak faith, live faith, act faith. When you say, I believe I'm healed, well, then you act like it. Get up and do something to act like you're healed. Yes, I'm healed, but I'm staying home from church tonight. Well, now listen, unless, you're, unless you've got a, you got a gastrointestinal issue, you can, get your, you can get your family to church. I mean, I've come to church and run to the bathroom and thrown up before, but don't do it on my carpet. <laughs> Not on my carpet. Make it to the bathroom, you know. You know obviously, if you think you got something contagious, I understand. But I'm telling you, we use, we use excuses. Well, I don't feel good. Does that promote a legacy of faith to any generation to give into it? I don't think so. I'm meddling, I told you. Let's move on. How about humor? My word, some of you need a good dose of humor. <laughs> they, he says to serve the Lord with gladness, not sadness. Amen. The believer ought to look like they're happy. Right. You know, Marilyn, Marilyn Hickey and, his, and, and her husband, what was his name? Wally. It was Wally. They had a church in Colorado. You know what it's called? Happy Church. Boy, some of you wouldn't want to go there. <laughs> it's called Happy Church. The believer ought to be the happiest person on earth. There was a book by Charles and Francis Hunter a long time ago called The Happiest People on Earth. The spirit-filled believer ought to be the happiest people on the earth. 
Why? Because we understand what's on the inside of us. There's a, there's a spirit-filled life abiding and bubbling up on the inside of us, and we should be happy all the time. Does that mean there's no trouble? Not at all. But we're happy in spite of any trouble that shows up. We're happy because we know that the greater one lives on the inside of me. That greater is he who's here than he who's out there. That God is my deliverer. He's my salvation. He's the answer. He's the provider. He's the supplier of everything that I need. I can be happy. Amen. You know, you may not see it right now, but you're going to see it. I already see it here, but you're going to see it out here. That's how we ought to live our life. With a lot of, just face the life, you know, with, with laughter. We've been, we've been through some things at times, you know, where we just decide to sit down and laugh about it. I mean, you know, it's a whole lot not better than crying about it. Because when I get through with it, I feel a whole lot better than if I had just sat there and bawled. Nobody agrees with that. Okay. You look a lot better. When you've had a good laugh. Listen, joy produces endorphins. And it's one of those things that is like a, a big old, huge, um, okay, uh, it boosts your immune system. Joy boosts your immune system. Did you know that? Proverbs says, a merry heart does good like a medicine. It is just exactly that. It's a medicine. It will boost your immune system. Immune physically, immune mentally, and immune spiritually. A merry heart does good like a medicine. You know, I said this years, years ago. We had somebody who had a small child in the nursery, and they would bring that child in, and they would leave them in the nursery. Now, they knew everybody who worked in the nursery. It wasn't like it was a stranger. It wasn't like it was somebody they didn't really know. It wasn't like somebody they couldn't trust. But they would take this child in there and say, Mommy loves you. Mommy's not abandoning you. Mommy's coming back. Mommy's just going. I mean, this child is, you know, a few months old. Come on. And, and I just, I heard that one night, and I, I just and it shook my head. I'm going, oh, Lord. You know, I don't understand. I don't understand why you would, why would you talk to a child that way? Well, I mean, why? I don't know. I told Pastor, I said, neurotic parents raise neurotic children. <laughs> happy parents raise happy children. Married parents raise married children. Parents who have a great outlook on life and not one that's constantly negative, not that's constantly finding fault with everything and everybody, are people who raise children of the same kind. It's a legacy that we pass on. So if you haven't got to say, well, I'm just a melancholy personality. No, you're not. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. A smile is a whole lot easier to do than a frown. It takes a lot fewer muscles to smile than it does to frown. Even when there's nothing to smile. You say, I got nothing to smile. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you stop and you really consider what you have to smile about, you would be laughing your head off. Okay. All right. How about Thanksgiving? Psalms 95, verse 2. Let's run back over there. Psalm 95, verse 2. Two. Let me find it. You beat me there. 95 verse 2 says, well, let's just start in verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. See, if you don't have much of a voice for singing, you can still make a joyful noise. That's quite all right. How about Psalm 100 verse 4? Enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. How about Psalm 107, verse 22? 107, verse 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. New Testament, Hebrews 13, 15.
By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Oh, well, I just love the Lord. No. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Hello, folks. Praise and worship should not be. Praise and worship should not be. Oh, my nails need to be done this week. Praise and worship should be not be. What is she doing up there with that dress on that platform? Our attention should be on God during praise and worship. Not on the platform. Although we have to tell everybody who's on the platform, everybody's looking at you, somebody's noticing you, so make sure that you're dressed correctly. Make sure that you know you're modest. Make sure this, make sure that. Because somebody is going to be seeing you. Whatever it is you've got on, whatever flaw there is, they'll see it. If you've got a tag hanging on it, they'll, they'll, they'll pick that out. Yes, they will. But praise and worship is a time for us to come in, use our mouth, lifting up holy hands, praising God. Well, I wasn't raised like that. Well, then you weren't raised right. I'm sorry. You just weren't raised right. The Bible says lifting up holy hands. It says give the fruit, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. That doesn't mean stand there and watch somebody else do it. It means you do it. Everybody might be looking at me. Well, shut your eyes then you won't know who's looking. for me. I remember a time when I didn't want to raise my hands because oh, somebody's going to see this. And it was kind of like, you know, you start with this and you, you know, then kind of goes, okay, okay. You know, it kind of gets, you know, a little bit of time goes back. <laughs> then you don't care who does what, you know. Give with it. Okay, somebody's going to think I'm just a little overboard with this, with this praise thing. Not possible. Well, maybe. May, I have seen a few. <laughs> Yeah, we've seen a few of those. Yeah. That, that maybe is kind of like not exactly in the realm of praise and worship that we need to be in. Uh, your children need to see you praise God. You need to leave them a legacy of the fact that you were a praiser. You were a praiser. Not that you were a stump on a log during a praise service. Now, how about in conduct? If you go over to 1 Peter... Well, let's see. Let's start in Philippians. I think, uh, let's go back to Philippians. Philippians, Philippians. Hallelujah. Philippians 1.27. I may have to start cutting myself short here. It says, only let your conversation, that means your conduct, be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 412, let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. An example. An example continues the legacy that God has given to us. Um, so under, the, under the, the, the realm of conduct here, we want to talk about some, some things. Number one is ethics. Proverbs 22, 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Ecclesiastes says, A good name is better than precious ointment. Psalms 25 says, Integrity and uprightness preserve me. There is a place for us in, that we deal with in the natural world to leave a legacy to our children that we have a good name, that our ethics are untarnished, they're unblemished, that we do the right thing in every situation. Even when it's to our own detriment, we still do the right thing. Norman Schwarzkopf gave the commencement address when my, our son Steve graduated from college. And he said that he want to leave you with this. He said, I want to make it short and sweet. His daughter who was graduating, she said, Dad, keep it short. And, uh, and so he said he was trying to. He wanted to leave us with this. Always do the right thing. That is a legacy that will stay with your children. It will, it will affect your church. 
It will affect your community. It will affect the business world that you go into, whether you have integrity or whether you don't. What, isn't it wonderful that, you know, our president, you know, is, is of the, the kind of man who everybody talks about his integrity. That's a legacy that you and I need to leave that comes under, under conduct. How about when it comes to forgiving people? Matthew says, how, disciple said, how, how often do we need to forgive somebody? How about 70 times 7? That's in one day. Uh, Matthew, or Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, and when you stand praying, forgive. I mean, he just got through talking about speak to the mountain. You can have whatever you say. And now he's saying, when, when you stand praying, you forgive. Shouldn't our children understand that we are, we're forgiving people? That we are willing to let people, you know, just let them go. They've done something wrong to us. Sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's imagined. But just let it go. You have to forgive sometimes by faith. Sometimes you have to keep telling yourself, I, I'm, I, I choose to, to forgive. By faith, Lord, I choose to forgive. It's a legacy you pass on. It's a trait they need to, to take up, and they need to see in action so that they can take it, and they can use it. There, there, there are times they have to forgive little Johnny on the playground, but when they get older, things become more and more important, and it's still important to them that they forgive, that you teach them a legacy of how to forgive other people. The love walk, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, I brought my Amplified Bible here. Uh, it says in, uh, just read, I just listened to this, no, starting in verse 4, love endures long and is patient and kind. Love, or, love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. does not display itself haughtily. It's not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it's not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. And we read that with hallelujah. And in our minds, we're thinking of what the other guy should be doing. true instead of taking this as something for me we we think of it oh yeah and that's how they're supposed to walk in love toward me listen teach your children teach the next generation be a part of teaching the next generation what it means to walk in love uh, how about faithfulness you know where would we be without the faithfulness of god and for us to be like him, we need to demonstrate the same kind of faithfulness. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. Mark and, and let me, Matthew and Luke both talk about the, who, the man who's faithful in a few things will be faithful in much. Uh, Luke talks about faithful in the least. He's faithful in much. Who's, one who's faithful in another man's will have his own. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, It's required in stewards to be faithful. Uh, 1 Corinthians also in verse uh, chapter 4 talks about Timothy, that he's faithful in the Lord. This was how Paul described Timothy. He's faithful in the Lord. And in, in 1 Timothy, um, Paul taught, said that God counted him faithful. We need to be sure we teach our children, the next generation, the ones to come after, what it means to be faithful at all times. You know, live up to our word. Live up to what we said we would do. Live up to the standards that God has for us. And then how about in giving? We need to teach our children how to be givers. We talked about serving, but it's also important that we teach them how to be givers. Teach them what it means to be generous. Teach what it means to be selfless. Teach what it means to, to give something to someone that, that maybe you really would like to keep for yourself. Teach them where, where that 10%, where that tithe belongs really if you stop and think about it a hundred percent of it really belongs to God because he's the one who gave it to you to start with it came from him all he's saying is take 10 percent aside and designate that for me not not the leftovers don't do what Cain did and when he got around to it he gave God something when okay well this is he didn't give the first like Abel did he didn't give the best like Abel did. He gave what was 
yeah, okay. When he got around to it, we need to teach our kids the legacy of giving. Why? Because it's an avenue of blessing in their lives. The Bible says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Do you want them blessed in their lives? Teach them to give when they're young. Provide them with a legacy of what it's like to give because you honor God. You know, when Malachi says, you know, you've robbed me. You've robbed me in tithes and offerings. You know, we, we think about that and we look at that and we think, well, it's just the fact that we've withheld things from God. No. By your withholding from God, you have robbed him of the opportunity to bless you. Do you realize that? To not teach your children how to give means you're robbing them of the opportunity for God to bless them. You're robbing them. Really, when you go back and you look at all these things that I'm talking about tonight when it comes to legacies and the things that we need to pass on to our children, the things that when we leave this earth, if they had to get up in a memorial service and say something about you, these are the things that they would say about you, that they loved God, that they served God with all their heart, that they were faithful, that they taught me how to give. They taught me how to conduct myself in life. They taught me how to, to treat my fellow believer. And they taught me all these things. This is what they've left me with. It doesn't matter whether they left me silver and gold, whether there's some big inheritance, whether there's money in the bank left, but what they taught me is more valuable than any material blessings could possibly be. Listen, you need to have an eternal viewpoint like David did eternal viewpoint to pass on these things to the generation that follows us, to the generation that follows us. We need to make sure it's so ingrained in the next generation that they're more than able to take it to the next one after them. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.